At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. When you do a show about early parenthood, you can't help but talk about pregnancy loss you know, losing a baby. It's one of the hardest things to talk about, to, to wrap our heads around. We've done a few episodes on that topic here on the show. And the women who have shared their stories here have just been incredibly courageous. And I've got to say, every time I talk to one of them, it, it feels like such a privilege. And I walk away from those conversations thinking about life and death and parenting completely differently. When we think about pregnancy loss, I think we mostly think about the mom, you know, the, the person who was pregnant. Maybe we also think about her partner. But the thing is, siblings can be deeply impacted by the loss of a baby, too. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today on the show, we'll hear from an only child, a man who lost a sister when he was four years old, and spent the rest of his life feeling her absence. Twelve years ago, I met this great family in Brooklyn, the Romas. I was doing a story about them for the radio show Studio 360. The dad, Thomas, is a photographer, um, and when his son Giancarlo was eight years old, he asked Giancarlo to do a book with him where um, Giancarlo would write short interpretations of some of Thomas's pictures. The book was called Show and Tell. Thomas was doing the showing. Giancarlo was doing the telling. Here's a little sample of Giancarlo reading one of the pages when he was 10. I think the dad is a fireman because he has a mug with number one fire. You can't see the A-N on the other side. There are bills on the counter. And he's looking through the classifieds. Maybe he can't pay all the bills and he's looking for another job. There's a piece of classified torn off on the counter. It could be a job that he might want. The drapes behind them make a beautiful triangle shape above their heads. And there's a wedding picture hung next to them on the wall that shows a happier time in the dad's life. 
I loved talking to Giancarlo and Thomas. They were so open and, and honest and funny. And they held hands for pretty much the entire interview. Oh God! Yeah. I, see, I didn't remember that, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna debate you on that. You're probably right. Giancarlo is 22 now, a, a college grad. He got in touch with me recently to tell me that he and his dad had another book coming out. It is a very, very strange feeling to get a grown-up sounding email from someone who was 10 the last time you saw them. But of course, I was super excited to talk to them about their new collaboration. And I figured, what a pleasure it must have been for Thomas to get to work with his son again, right? I just said, no, I, I don't want him for this. When I first thought of doing this book, it was not a project with Giancarlo. It was supposed to be a project with a female writer. Thomas had been thinking about this book. It's called The Waters of Our Time for years, actually for decades. And he'd always known that the narrator would be an old woman. We'll be getting to why it had to be a woman in a minute. But Thomas just didn't think Giancarlo could pull it off. Giancarlo, though, really, really wanted to do it. And in the end, his mom convinced Thomas to let him. Here's Giancarlo reading from the beginning of the story. I'm told I met my father, but if I did, I wasn't old enough to remember him. It seems silly at this age to be thinking of myself as someone's daughter, but I guess I still do. That text starts smack on the book's cover. It's a design idea Thomas got from photographer Roy DiCarava and writer Langston Hughes on their book, The Sweet Flypaper of Life. And just like that book, Thomas and Giancarlo's book is small. It's, it's small enough to fit in your pocket. It's actually a beautiful little object. The cover has this matte finish, you know, that, that kind of raw finish that feels great to run your hand over. And it's full of Thomas's black and white photographs. 142 of them that were drawn from 38,000 images from a lifetime of shooting. You know, he, he picked the ones that meant the most to him. Mostly, they're pictures of Giancarlo shown backward in time, starting with um, muscly young man to boy to baby. And then there's a lot of Thomas's wife, Anna, too. She's meant to be the main character in the book. There are big white spaces around the pictures, and in those spaces are Giancarlo's words. And if you can picture this, um, his lines are printed in black. And then there are these other lines alternating with his in a gray italicized font. Those are song lyrics. Oh, the song is Follow. It was written by a man named Jerry Merrick. It's famously sung by Richie Havens, who's a big hero of mine, also a Brooklyn boy. Can you read the first verse of the, of the song? Okay. Well, it begins, Let the river rock you like a cradle. Let the river rock you. Like a Climb to the treetops, child, if you're able. Climb to the treetops, child, if you're able. Let your hands tie a knot across the table. Let your hands tie a knot across the table. Come, Come and touch and the things touch you cannot feel. Things you cannot feel. And close your fingertips. Um, so I'm going to have you read some more things. I'm going to just sort of in quick succession have you read individual pages. Sure. So let's start with page 13. 13. Okay. At a certain point, you realize you can't recall your own life as neatly as you thought you could. Okay. Now 16. 
Questions stay true. Answers don't always. 34. We're not just one person, even to ourselves. 58. Life is a current that moves us on its own time. And last one, 82 to 83. I guess that's just life. Maybe we're not supposed to know what it is or why it is while we're in the midst of it. So there are like a lot of kind of stated truths in yes, there. Yeah. Like aphoristic. Yeah. Um, and it sort of sounds like a, a wise old woman to me, but it also sounds like a young man trying to figure out the meaning <laughs> of life. Well, I'm glad that you said it almost that a little bit of, of, of me came through in it, that it didn't just sound completely um, like an older woman. I... Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was me struggling with these things. I, young people might even worry more about these questions than older people because we're so far re- – I mean, ideally, we're so far removed from from having to deal with those questions that it's this nebulous monster at the end you know, that we don't ever really get to see. So – It was almost like an invitation to get to speak about those things and not sound completely morbid. And um, it was almost like an acceptable space to grapple with these issues for me personally. Giancarlo thinks a lot about death. It's actually weighed pretty heavily on his mind since he was four years old. More on that after this break when our story continues. Finding the perfect mom and dad friends to hang out with can be hard. And here at The Longest Shortest Time, we're here to help. Join our Facebook groups. Just search for Longest Shortest Time Mamas or Longest Shortest Time Papas. People there are planning meetups all over the country for non-judgy bonding. Find a meetup near you or make your own and let me know if you do it. I might Skype in to say hi. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Giancarlo told me a couple of times that the way he was best able to put himself in the mind of a woman at the end of her life was to think of her as somebody's daughter, something that made complete sense when we talked about the book's dedication. So the dedication of the book says for Mary. Yes. Who is Mary? So my parents... um, had trouble having children. My mom had seven pregnancies. Five were uh, miscarriages at various points in um, in the term. And then this is before you were born, I was number four. And so there's the five miscarriages. There's me, and then I have a sister who um, died the same day she was born um, when I was four years old, four and a half. Um, and that's that's who Mary is, and that's um, who the book is dedicated to. So you were four and a half. I yeah. imagine you have a memory of her. You know what? I I actually never met her, but I I do have a memory of um, that day and the days surrounding it. What do you remember? Um, I remember um, beforehand being very excited about the idea of having a sibling. Thomas, of course, clearly remembers what happened. He was in Italy at the time, printing one of his books. He called home to check in with his wife, Anna, who was 27 weeks pregnant. And when I checked in, this is before cell phones and international calls were rather difficult, I couldn't find her, and it turned out she was in the hospital. So I left, and I, and I 
had an emergency flight home, and Anna had been in the hospital for a number of days at that point with a high fever. And early in the morning, I got back to the hospital with John Carlo, and we were still hoping that everything was going to work out. My dad was in the room with my mom in the hospital room, and I was in the hospital in the hallway. And I kept reassuring him that everything was going to be all right. But the baby had a lung infection. There was a breach in uh, the placenta. She was premature, but not so premature that it was hopeless. And Anna had gotten an infection that went through. And in fact, the amniotic fluid, uh, the last moment uh, a doctor came in and she said, this is all wrong. We're going to lose her, meaning Anna, and uh, get her into surgery immediately. I knew I had to get John Carlo out of there. So I asked my friend to take him home. And he put me on his shoulders, and he brought me to the elevator. I said, listen, I have some sad news that I'm going to tell you when I get home. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, I'll, I'll talk to you when I get home. And I said, no, what is it? And I, I kept pressing him about it. And he said, well... Well, I can't tell you everything, but I'm going to tell you mommy's not coming home from the hospital too soon. And I said, oh, well, great, because I, I thought something had happened to the baby. And my dad... Um, my dad said, well, that's, that's the other thing, is it looks like the baby um, might not be coming home. She wasn't born at that point, but it, the doctor said it didn't look good. And so my babysitter, and I went to the elevator, and I, I waved goodbye to him, to my dad, who's standing outside. And the elevator, and this is what I remember most vividly, the elevator doors just did not close for whatever reason. And I kept waving, saying, bye, Daddy, bye, Daddy, and he kept waving back. And I, I just remember the feeling of... It was almost like an out-of-body experience, like time had stopped for that moment, literally. And so I'm, I'm chasing the doctor down, you know, what does this mean? You know, I, I can't tell you how uh, impossible it was for me to wrap my brain around this event. I mean, I, I, you might as well have told me that aliens had just landed in New York City and we're all going to another planet. I... Um, so they did. Did they did an emergency C-section? No, they, they 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 induced, and uh, that was the first thing. And they pushed, and and uh, like a regular birth. And uh, it was it was clear to everyone in the room that it was a very bad infection at that point. The attending nurses were amazing. I mean, amazing human beings who immediately swaddled the baby and handed it to me. Was was she born alive? Yeah. She was. Well, she, I'll say this. The doctor turned to me and said, from now on, we're going to be trying to save Anna. And this was only the second newborn I'd ever hold, and she was very tiny. And, uh, I mean, you know, really tiny, a tiny baby. And, you know, most of the time with a baby, what you do is you try to count the fingers and toes, but... 
I could only stare at her to see if she was breathing. And then there was a breath. And these nurses, two nurses, were holding me. And then there was another breath, a heave. From the baby. From the baby. And then another breath, and then I looked at them, and and we were in a birthing room, and uh, I walked away to be alone with them. I, I turned my back, and I'm sure I'd, there was a point where I felt she was still breathing when she wasn't. She um, died in your arms. Yes. Wow. I, um she was she was in my arms uh from the time she was born i would say you know a period of two two and a half hours um the nurses came back with a polaroid camera and and you know, they took pictures of us holding the baby, the baby between us. By that point, the baby is most certainly gone. My dad came home later that day, and um, and I, I remember, you know, I remember pretty much knowing what had happened, but the thing is, what I, what I really am grateful for in that situation then and since is that I was never lied to and I was never misled about anything, you know, and my dad um, has told me since then that it's it's a very bad thing to create a distorted reality for your child, and he never did that with me. He was always up front, even if I couldn't possibly understand what was going on. He never made it anything other than what it was. And so from that point, and even now, I've, I've always had a picture of it, and I've been able to deal with it in my own way. And I, to be honest with you, I think... Um, I think a lot of the contents of the book dealing with memory and someone trying to make sense of their life at the end of their life is, um, from a female perspective even, comes from that experience for me. How so? Well, the idea of imagining um, or getting the chance to write not only someone's life story, but their recollection of their own life story um, is almost something I was trained for by that loss. You know, I think like when um, a child dies, especially a baby where you don't even get to know at all what yeah. they were like, mm -hmm. you kind of can't help just always wondering, okay, so now it's, they would be 10 now oh, or now they would be 20. All like the what? Time. Yeah. Do you, do you wonder those things? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, every, not only every year, but multiple, multiple times within the year. Yeah. Um, it seemed like she would have been so much younger, but it was only I was only four years old. She would have been four years younger. And I have friends with, um, a few friends with sisters that age. And, it, and in the back of my head, I think, wow, this, she would have been, you know, applying to college and she would have been going to college, you know, and, and even before that, I, I almost feel like I've simulated that for myself, just playing out this, um, that narrative in my head so many times, it almost feels like, you know, it almost feels to me like it happened. You know, would I have to live in the basement and she would have had my room? I mean, some that are as basic as that and some are like, you know, 
what would it mean if I had to, <laughs> you know, menace a prom date or something? Just like the kind of stereotypical things. And I always just imagine um, what that would have been like, especially as an older brother to a younger sister. This kind of a, a unique um, position to to hold, and and even just that. I mean, even the amount of pregnancies my mom had too. Just it's something you can't help thinking about. What is it like for you to know that you were the one of seven that made it? It's 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 a little bit of pressure. I, it's, it's probably more pressure than I think my parents um, even know because I don't speak about it that often. Um, but just knowing how badly my parents wanted to have a bigger family um, and wanted to have more children and that you know, this is what they have. It's not just pressure pressure to succeed or make them proud, but to, to really be a family, if that makes sense. It's clear from Thomas's photos that Giancarlo has been everything to them. Thomas seems to have captured every moment of his son's life, you know, the, the achievements and the mundane stuff. There's Giancarlo shirtless at bat at home plate, Giancarlo adoring his dog, Giancarlo examining himself in the mirror as a little kid. Giancarlo getting something from the fridge. And then at the end of the book, you see a sequence of photos, starting with one of Giancarlo's mom. She's lying in bed, massively pregnant. Next, there's a baby in a carriage. Then Giancarlo's mom again, sitting in a chair, hugging herself, looking distraught. Finally, there's a baby dress, white and lacy, and laid out on an oriental rug, empty. It was Mary's. Thomas and Giancarlo Roma live in Brooklyn, though not in the same house with each other anymore. Their most recent book is The Waters of Our Time. You can see Thomas's gorgeous pictures of Giancarlo growing up and the haunting one of Mary's baby dress at our website, longestshortesttime.com. We've also got audio there from my first story with the Romas. Last week, I did a Google Hangout with Dan Pashman of the Sporkful podcast and a pediatric dietitian. We answered your questions about picky eaters, vegetarians, the trendy technique of baby-led weaning, and we answered the scientific reason why Dan likes to eat food from his baby's mouth. If you missed it, the video is posted on our blog in a post called Hangout, Make Mealtime Happier. If you've been having trouble with your kids overeating, chances are you'll find answers in this video. So watch it and share it with your friends. We've got more events coming up. The best way to keep on top of them, sign up for our newsletter at our website. This podcast is a production of WNYC and The Longest Shortest Time. The show is produced by me, Hillary Frank, and Joanna Solotaroff. Jim Briggs is our engineer. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon and Peter Clowney, who edited this story as well as my first story with the Romas 12 years ago. 
Subscribe to our show in iTunes. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at 3 a.m. And as always, if you have a story of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh-generation. Find seventh-generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com.